Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. As regular listeners will know, this podcast is all about hearing from the people who get up each day and make this country work, supporting their staff, clients, service users to be the best that they can be. And today I'm joined by Dr. Linda Edwards, Chief Executive of Education for Health and author of the Barefoot Executive Leadership Skills for the 21st Century. Education for Health is a, a dynamic UK-based healthcare charity with a primary focus on supporting health improvements. And um, you know, it's Linda. It's great to, to have you on today. It's going to be great to hear your your expertise. And um, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of background about yourself and uh, and Education for Health, that would be great. Yes, of course. Um, I've been at the helm at Education for Health for the last four years. Um, I traditionally call myself the third matriarch. The organization has been running for 34 years. It came um, from the desire of the founder, Greta Barnes, to provide um, high-quality training for nurses in asthma. Since then, it's gone through many uh, changes and evolved into something that is now a leading-edge health charity, providing education and training for all healthcare professionals in primary and secondary care. My own background is I started off as a podiatrist many moons ago. I became a chief exec in two or three NHS organizations. Um, I then decided that I wanted to explore what leadership was all about. Having been foisted into a leadership position at the tender age of 32, I felt I ought to learn from people um, who were wiser than myself. So I undertook a PhD in leadership and studied with cultures around the world. So I spent 13 years running my own business and traveling um, while I did the research for my PhD. That's a, um, a really interesting uh, way of going about things. Um, and also, you know, very, you know, sort of humble of you as well to know that you didn't know everything at, at 32. And that can sometimes be the age where people do think that their their world is is them and they are the, the hero of their story. And, um, you know, that's 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 very good to hear. Mm. Yeah, and I have to say it was very enlightening because I, I spent time with leaders in indigenous cultures, um, principally to understand how they led and what leadership meant to them. And the discoveries I made were all around being authentic. And if you are authentic and you lead from the heart as well as from the head, then um, organizations and cultures can thrive. If we put in too much process thinking and try to enforce our own map of the world onto other people, that's when we run into problems. That's, again, you know, something very um, important that people do need to realise that that cultural differences are there, and there are different ways of uh, of working and and you know learning, especially um, you know. And it seems like you've taken that journey to heart. But um, you know, let's go back to sort of education for health for a moment, and I'm sure we'll explore your your leadership ideas as we we go forwards. But um, you know, given the experiences and the chaos uh, in many respects of the last sort of 18 months um you know how have you been sort of dealing with that as both uh, the head of a, an organization which supports um you know nurses and people that are uh, wanting to you know improve themselves for long-term care as well as you know dealing with the, the sort of stresses of the business i think resilience is the one word that kind of resonates throughout the last 18 months resilience of ourselves as an organization and resilience of our the people that come and learn with us um the people that have been on the front line 
trying to manage through something that no one has ever experienced before. So um, for us, it was back in March uh, 2020 when um, Boris Johnson made his announcement. There was a huge suck-in of air. We furloughed 70% of our staff and then said, so what on earth do we do now? I mean, can we actually make this work? And the, there was a very loud voice in my head saying, for heaven's sake, you may do respiratory. If a respiratory education and training charity can't survive now, who can? Um, so we set about putting in place as many systems and processes as we could to support the people who were learning with us because we had people on academic courses who were juggling different ways of working, being put um, on the front line or being put into and specialisms they've never been in before while still trying to undertake an academic course um, and then looking at what we could do to speed up the process of putting all of our education and training into a virtual environment. So no mean feats really, but I have to say we've got there and it's no small credit to the team pulling together to enable us to do that. Talking to our learners and students now, um, They've been really appreciative of the support that the tutors have given them, the fact that they've been accessible when perhaps um, other courses had stopped. We continued and provided that one-to-one and small group support um, and learned a huge amount on the way. And obviously, did you, do you think that people's education was negatively affected during this time? Do you think that people were then too busy actually having to, to deal with the, the challenges around healthcare and, and the stresses and the, the long hours that they weren't able to sort of turn to you? Or, or do you think that actually, you know, going online was, it was refreshing for people to then be able to continue their education and, and have something that they didn't have to, to think about the, the stresses of the day to day? It was really mixed some people were extraordinarily stressed. Um, so we had a lot of people needing to defer um, their courses and have extensions on their courses. But I was absolutely amazed that 600 people during the first six months carried on with their education. Um, and that when talking to them, many of them, as you say, found that it was quite refreshing to have a little bit of headspace outside of the juggling of busy lives uh, on the work front and the home front because it's we have to remember that children were uh, at home and not at school. So many people were juggling homeworking, working uh, on the front line and looking after their children. So, yeah, it was a huge juggling act for many people. But it really encouraged us to look at how we could provide education and learning at all levels in small bite-sized chunks. So enabling people to access what they needed quickly and easily when they could. So if they wanted to learn, you know, pick up um, the laptop and do a small piece of e-learning at midnight, there was nothing stopping them from doing that. But where they found the energy from, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? It's being able to, to maintain that that forward progress. And you're right, you know, people that have been working on, um, you know, wards and, and dealing with the the um you know sort of crisis really that's the, the levels to which people have been able to rise up and continue really have been inspiring but um do you think that will you be sort of continuing with this bite-sized element will you be learning the lessons from um you know the last year where you've had to pivot and change and carrying that on or would do you think that actually people are going to benefit from getting back more to the uh, you know the traditional style of learning 
Well, it's interesting because obviously we're continually talking to our learners and asking them what they need and what they think the future looks like and how could we do things differently um, or, or better. And the, the consistent message is that it works really well in the virtual environment. So the education and training is not one dimensional, it's three dimensional. So there are opportunities to learn in small chunks. There are opportunities to meet virtually with groups of people who are on the same journey as themselves. And they found that really invaluable. One of the biggest problems that people find if they do face-to-face education is if you're in a GP practice, for instance, releasing somebody for a day to travel to mm. I know, Warwick or Newcastle to do some training takes a lot more time out of practice than enabling people to have two or three hours a week over a period of time. Um, to access live webinars or to do some e-learning is much more productive for everybody. Yeah. There will be face-to-face um, training, I am sure, but it will be a rarity rather than the norm. It can be something that people, you know, when the important sections, the the bits that you need to make sure get right, whereas the, the sort of more e-learning and the, the book learning can be done in that virtual environment. And you're right, it does take less time. And that's a really interesting, uh, you know, perspective that it, it, these things, maybe more people are going to be able to turn to you to get training and to, you know, further their education than potentially was there before. Maybe it's opened up for you. Yeah. Yes, I think it. Um, we're hopeful that, that it has. And even very practical courses like spirometry. Um, we've found that we've been running our interactive blended online learning model um, and we have about 170, 180 people each at any given time actually studying mm. in that way with us. And spirometry is something that, you know, people have always seen as a very practical hands-on mm. and training program. And Looking obviously at the sort of pressures on on the NHS, pressures on GPs at the moment, you know, the backlog, the time, do you think there is going to be a knock-on effect of people that are going to be able to, um, you know, continue to train? Or do you think that, uh, you know, there always needs to be time to train, that that, 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 that will actually then have uh, uh, sort of beneficial elements? Hmm. Well, I mean, the fundamental line and why people need um, training in clinical skills is safety safety for their patients and the constant evolution um, of development in long-term conditions or any treatment, um, to be honest. So it's really important that people need to refresh and keep up to date with their skills. There was an interesting article um, today in the Health Services Journal from one of the directors of Health Education England saying that training and education needs to be a priority for medical staff um, and all clinicians to ensure that their practices are safe that's you know something that people are going to have to uh, take note of isn't it you know the safety element there you know and that's something that when people are talking about you know people on the front line suffering burnouts um that there's not enough sort of cover the holidays haven't been there over this time and then you're still having to learn new things and to refresh um you know safety is is going to be paramount hopefully that you're going to be there to support in you know these sort of agile ways that you've you've adapted to and, and come up with um you know is there anything that you are going to be doing that's you know, new or, or fresh or, um, you know, something that you actually think you can you can pivot into um, looking ahead or, or is it going to be uh, just the sort of same as you have been? We don't stand still. That, that, that's for sure. Yep. Um, and 
you know, we're constantly evolving and, and looking at what we can do to um, support people and to make it easy and fun so that people have a bit of light time when they're doing their learning rather than it being terribly serious. Mm. Um, so it's, it's how we give people the knowledge and know, know how to conduct um, their day-to-day practice, but to give it give people tips and hints and, and different spins on things so that it doesn't become so much of a drain on their mental emotional resources because it is mentally and physically exhausting seeing people day in um, day out with multiple uh, conditions one of our big learnings I think in all of this is uh, a year ago now we created um, a COVID resource centre an online resource centre that people can buy uh, at a very nominal subscription for six months or a year there are weekly updates on that, so yeah. any new piece of guidance that comes out, any new developments and research, we've got podcasts, we've got webinars, um, we run live sessions on specific um, topics that are hot topics so that people can access either the live session or go back and, and listen to the recording afterwards. Yeah. That has proved to be really valuable, so we're doing a similar subscription program for diabetes and other long-term conditions. We're also looking at how we can um, provide new skills in small ways for people so that they can get a taste of something and decide whether they need or want to explore it in more detail. Mm. Um, So lots and lots of things are happening at the moment. The big one for us, the most exciting one, is we've just been accredited to provide a level four, which is a higher education certificate course that we've developed over the last six months to enable healthcare assistants and healthcare support workers to put their toe on the academic ladder without being overwhelmed by um, launching into being a nursing assistant in the full um, program that goes with that. So it's a stepping stone to build confidence and competence to enable people to develop a career who may not have otherwise considered it. That's that's really interesting. Um, always looks very sort of positive then um, going forwards, uh, you know, bringing new people in, helping them as much as you possibly can and, and still maintaining that sort of level of update and, and as you say, you know, safety with the training. But, um, you know, things aren't always positive. And, you know, do you think that there are any sort of, you know, mistakes that you made over the course of this time period? Or do you think there's anything that you sort of think you should have done differently? Well, we always learn, don't we? And um, for me, a mistake is a learning opportunity. So we have blundered on occasions in the last 18 months trying to ensure that we could provide um, high quality services at a time when it was really difficult to do so. So having a sufficient resource allocated to support people has been one of our biggest learnings mm. because the, the level of support that people needed we underestimated i'm not sure anybody could have estimated it accurately to be fair to ourselves but we did underestimate that so those first six months were really difficult um we've reached out to more people um we've done quite a lot of work with the pharmacy profession but I think some of the things that we've learned are about not running too fast. Because mm. we've had a good idea. We've wanted to get it in place for people um, who are on the wards and working in practices. But the thing that we learned was we need to take that little bit of extra time to make sure that it was totally polished yep. so that people who were stressed 
were able to easily access what they needed rather than um, find that a system didn't quite work properly. So it's about taking a breath and stopping and ensuring that what we're doing is the best that we think we can do at that point in time and we've put everything into it. And that's all anybody can ask, isn't it? That um, you know you are learning the lessons and you are doing as much as you possibly can to uh, to help and reflect. But um, you know, one of the major talking points over this time is that people underestimated a lot of the the stresses and the chaos, mm. and obviously um, the support that would be needed both within organisations, within you know the, the your local communities, but also from governments. And um, you know, do you think there was enough that was done, um, especially considering it's you know your your uh, industry of healthcare um, to support people to make sure that there was the aid there to make sure that there was enough um, you know to, to be able to keep people going each day I think you know whatever anyone's political views are nobody's ever come across this experience before and everybody was finding their way and I think you know a bit of compassion from all of us as we were working our way through um, would have been more helpful I, th- I think, you know, when you face something that's unknown and that's so massive, I don't think anybody thought at the beginning that it would run for so long or that so many people would unfortunately lose their lives. Mm. So we were just all finding our way. And yes, we can look back and say the furlough scheme was very helpful and we were very grateful for that. But actually, if we were to do all this again, we would understand that you need more resource rather than less resource in an organisation like ours to enable us to provide the support that we would have liked. Um, But that's hindsight, and we can always learn from that, can't we? Absolutely. You can't, no one's going to be looking back at this and think that everything was perfect, as we can see from the, the initial report this week and the public inquiry that's going to be going on next year mm-hmm. is, um, you know, no doubt going to be quite damaging. But, um, you know, a lot was done during the, the initial stages. A lot has continued to be done. And that's, you know, something that the government does have to sort of hold its head up high and say, well, we may have made mistakes, but, uh, you know, we wouldn't be here without that. And you're right, even on an individual level, we all need to do that as well. Um, but, you know, one thing that we always like to talk about on this show is obviously personal leadership, personal style, how you've sort of learned, changed yourself um, throughout this period. It isn't just the organisation that's there, it's the sort of leaders that are going to be around as well. And do you think that, you know, your leadership style has had to adapt throughout this period or, um, you know, do you think that it was, you had the skills there already? A bit of both, I, I think, um, because you know, we've never, none of us have ever experienced anything like this, but it's that resilience. It's coming back to the fact of do we throw the towel in or do we actually say, come on, let's see what we can do. And I have to say that the team at Education for Health were fantastic. Mm. We had 11 people working um, for nine months and everybody pulled together to do what they could do. We all took salary cuts to enable us to to continue to um, function without any income coming in. So it was that was a real test of the tenacity and the resilience of all of us in the organisation to say, right, so what is it we need to do? And we had to learn to do things that we would never learn, have ever dreamed of doing, um, some very basic skills, some very basic tasks. But by all pulling together and nobody saying, I can't do that, we were able to get through. And I think... I'm hopeful that obviously my leadership style had an influence and an impact on that. But I think most of it was everybody just pulling together. 
that's again really nice to hear you some people have had to turn to other you know, managing directors or chief executives to be able to speak freely and to have a, a sort of shoulder to uh, not to cry on but to lean on many times people that mm-hmm. understand the stresses that running a business and trying to protect people's jobs when making hard decisions has had to come through but the fact that you've had your team already there that have all stood up and been that support network that's incredibly positive and really says something about the ethos that was within the uh, the organization already your leadership style your you know leadership capabilities to be able to have that already and, and sort of moving forward so you know i've offered my congratulations very well done on uh, on on you and the team being able to, to sort of weather that but um you know obviously one of the areas that you were going to be looking to be doing was to be running sort of leadership master classes as well at education for health has that been able to to come into effect have you started that process and you know how's that sort of looking forwards we've um it, it went on hold for a, a short period but the first um program will start in january and the central tenet of it is going to be about resilience um because i think you know those of us that have come through all of this recognize that resilience is the most powerful thing and to help people to develop their own type of resilience because we all do it differently we all process differently we all have different triggers so it's about how to turn what we have inside of us into a form of resilience that supports us rather rather than uh, drains us and if people particularly wanted to, to jump onto those sort of courses, how do they get involved in that? Is that something that you're just offering to current um, you know, learners or is that something that anybody can jump into? No, it will be open to everybody. We're launching our learning academy, which is our non-academic um, uh, academy for um, anyone to, to come along and, and join us. We're launching that in November. Part of that process will be a, a seminar between with myself and uh, another person who's experienced in leadership to give people a taste of what the masterclasses might be like. They're entitled to finding the leader within um, and it's all about helping people to look at themselves and find their own strengths and develop and grow those sounds really quite interesting and uh, it'll be great to have you on uh, again in the future when you know you can talk about the the changes that you've implemented and, and the sort of learning outcomes there it's always great when uh, you know business coaches and, and leadership coaches come together and share ideas and, and inspire really you know especially for for new leaders coming through or people that just need a bit of confidence so that'll be really interesting <laughs> to hear about as we go forwards but um uh you know again looking to you know the future um how do you think that everything's going to be going uh you know over the next sort of 12 months do you think we're going to be back to normal? Do you think that there's going to be um, you know, more pressure put on? Do you think that actually this level of resilience is going to start to crumble as people um, you know, have been worked very hard and you know, that people need a break that they potentially aren't getting? Yeah, people are definitely ex- exhausted. Um, and it is going to take time for that to turn around. Uh, the, the normal will be a different normal from the normal we experienced before. I mean, we can see it, can't we, in the way that general practices, for instance, are offering their services, uh, a lot more telephone consultations, you know, people only going into the practice when they actually need something physically. Um, and I think that's the way of the world. I think it's particularly challenging for older people because they don't understand why things can't go back to normal, but actually productivity um, will increase 
population already is increasing by people having more flexible ways of accessing healthcare. And, you know, the trouble is that is it 6.1 million people now have uh, cardiovascular disease and we reckon there's about 120,000 people with undiagnosed uh, type 2 diabetes having come through the pandemic and a similar number around heart failure and, and other cardiovascular um, diseases. It's a huge mountain and the work and carrying on the way we were at delivering services all face to face. Everybody always wanted to see the GP. Um, all of that is changing now so that the right people can see and triage people with long-term conditions, help them to manage their condition more effectively and also do more prevention work um, because, you know, the prevalence of both cardiovascular disease and diabetes have shot up because of the way people have been living in the last 18 months. And this might be a little bit controversial. It always is when we're talking about healthcare. But do you see that there's going to be an avenue for sort of private organisations to be coming in and fulfilling some of that gap, fulfilling some of the um, the initial consultation period, and then taking a little bit of burden off the NHS? Or do you think that actually things should be sticking with uh, the GP system as it is now, with the uh, you know the special then having referrals to specialists and and just trying to sort of muddle through? I think um, for me, it's, it will be the mixed model would work. You know, there are people who, if you pulled your knee out, they they go to their GP, but actually if they went to the chiropractor, it would be fixed really quickly and easily. So there's something about how we can support people about understanding their own body and where to go for the right kind of help, because that would unclog the system somewhat. I mean. I'm astounded, I don't know why I continue to be astounded about how little people understand about their own bodies and where the various organs are and what does what. And so there's probably a bit of a plea in here for um, schools, schools to educate people a bit more about their own physiology. Because if people understood what was going on in their body a little bit more, they may be able to take more control um, and not be rushing to the health service every time some some small incident happens that they could manage themselves or manage differently. That's uh, an interesting one, you know. Again, going back to the education, uh, you know, side of things, it, it is about making sure that people do understand a little bit more about the healthy choices that they can make and understanding a little bit more about their own bodies. And you're right, maybe that does start young, but um, maybe that's something you can look into in the future, supporting more, um, you know, secondary primary schools with resources and and things like that. And uh, yeah. uh, it could be an interesting, uh, interesting new chapter. But um, uh, again, just sort of looking for you know, at education for health and going forwards, is there anything that you're going to be doing other than just sort of the masterclass series and, and the leadership style, but is there anything going to be fundamentally um, you know, changing or, or new projects that are coming up? Um, we will be building on hopefully the successful launch of our Level 4 programme because that means we can then offer some uh, higher education certificate right through to postgraduate um, education, combining that with small bite-sized bits you know, what are the new things that are coming out around diabetes? What are the new things around um, supporting people with mental health? What can we do to help people work more effectively in multidisciplinary teams? There are lots of small things that we can do right the way through to, as I say, the full master's program in long-term conditions. So looking at all of that and cutting that in different ways, making it more accessible, I think is going to be quite a fun journey for us to to go on.
um, because there's no point in going out and reinventing things when we've got lots of things that work really well. It's how we deliver them in a way that's accessible to the people that need them um, and not always in formal education. That's a, a good point as well. You know, it's, it looks like there's an awful lot um, that's coming up. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, sort of spinning plates in the air for you as you, uh, you navigate these challenging times, but also try and improve as well. So I very much look forward to, to having you back, um, you know, on the show in, you know, a few months, uh, sort of Q2 of next year, um, you know, to see what the changes have been and, and how people have re- responded to them. And actually, you know, when we can potentially look back on this COVID period and think, you know, what the worst is really behind us. And, um, mm. you know, now is the time for, for new ideas and a fresh start. Right. Excellent. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Linda, thank you ever so much. And um, uh, thank you to everyone that's been that's been listening in. Goodbye. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Linda Edwards, CEO of Education for Health. A really interesting conversation looking at some of the challenges that are faced by people continuing to have education within healthcare um, and some of the solutions that can be done moving forwards. Um, thank you all ever so much for listening in today and I will be with back with you next week.